Winston Spencer Churchill In the strict sense of the phrase, a soldier of fortune is a man who, for pay, or for the love of adventure, fights under the flag of any country. In the bigger sense, he is the kind of man who, in any walk of life, makes his own fortune, who, when he sees it coming, leaps to meet it and turns it into his advantage. Than Winston Spencer Churchill today, there are few young men, and he is a very young man, who have met more varying fortunes, and none who has more frequently bent them to his own advancement. To him it has been indifferent whether, at the moment, the fortune seemed good or evil, in the end, always, it was good. As a boy officer, when other subalterns were playing polo and at the Gaiety Theater, attending night school, he ran away to Cuba and fought with the Spaniards. For such a breach of military discipline, any other officer would have been court-martialed. Even his friends feared that by his foolishness his career in the army was at an end. Instead, his escape made a question in the House of Commons, and the fact brought him such publicity that the Daily Graphic paid him handsomely to write on the Cuban Revolution, and the Spanish government rewarded him with the Order of Military Merit. At the very outbreak of the Boer War he was taken prisoner. It seems a climax of misfortune. With his brother officers, he had hoped in that campaign to acquit himself with credit, and that he should lie inactive in Pretoria appeared a terrible calamity. To the others who, through many heartbreaking months, suffered imprisonment, it continued to be a calamity. But within six weeks of his capture, Churchill escaped and, after many adventures, rejoined his own army to find that the calamity had made him a hero. When after the Battle of Omdurman, in his book on the River War, he attacked Lord Kitchener, those who did not like him, and they were many, said, That's the end of Winston in the army. He'll never get another chance to criticize K of K. But only two years later the chance came, when, no longer a subaltern, but as a member of the House of Commons, he patronized Kitchener by defending him from the attacks of others. Later, when his assaults upon the leaders of his own party closed to him, even in his own constituency, the conservative debating clubs, again his ill-wishers said, This is the end. He has ridiculed those who sit in high places. He has offended his cousin and patron, the Duke of Marlborough. Without political friends, without the influence of money of the Marlborough family, he is a political non-entity. That was sixteen months ago. Today, at the age of thirty-two, he is one of the leaders of the government party, undersecretary for the colonies, and with the liberals the most popular young man in public life. Only last Christmas, at a banquet, Sir Edward Grey, the new foreign secretary, said of him, Mr. Winston Churchill has achieved distinction in at least five different careers, as a soldier, a war correspondent, a lecturer, an author, and at last but not least as a politician. I have understated it even now, for he has achieved two careers as a politician, one on each side of the house. His first career on the government side was really a distinguished career. I trust the second will be even more distinguished and more prolonged. The remarkable thing is that he has done all this when, unless appearances very much belie him, he has not reached the age of sixty-four, which is the minimum age at which the politician ceases to be young. Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill was born thirty-two years ago in November 1874. By birth he is half American. His father was Lord Randolph Churchill and his mother was Jenny Jerome of New York. On the father's side he is the grandchild of the seventh Duke of Marlborough, on the distaff side of Leonard Jerome. To a student of heredity it would be more interesting to try and discover from which of these ancestors Churchill drew these qualities which in him are most prominent and which have led to his success.
What he owes to his father and mother, it is difficult to overestimate, almost as difficult as to overestimate what he has accomplished by his own efforts. He was not a child born of a full-grown genus of commonplace parents. Rather, his fate threatened that he should always be known as the son of his father. And certainly it was asking much of a boy that he should live up to a father who was one of the most conspicuous, clever, and erratic statesmen of the later Victorian era, and a mother who was as brilliant as she is beautiful. For at no time was the American wife content to be merely ornamental. Throughout the political career of her husband, she was as his helpmate, and as an officer of the Primrose League, as an editor of the Anglo-Saxon Review, as, for many hot, weary months in Durban Harbor, the head of the hospital ship Maine. She has shown an acute mind and real executive power.